FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 152 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason Venable, and um, Denise is here, but she's not able to uh, join us right away, but I do have her uh, her score for the issue in hand. But we also have a very special guest uh, from the Intercomics podcast, the uh, French Connection himself, Matthew Wilmo. Right. I guess I should say it right. I don't want to be, <laughs> don't want to be like those guys over there. It's Matthew Wilmot. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Uh, I'm I'm pretty good. I've I've been struck down with the deadly Metaba virus, but other than that, I'm I'm doing okay. And thank you for being able to read and pronounce my name properly. <laughs> well, to be fair, I've I've heard all the banter that y'all have done already, yeah. so. I, ha- I had that tucked away. <laughs> oh, it's good. I, what started out as a sort of like a genuine like misread has become <laughs> it's become law now on the internet. I think pretty soon I'm going to have to legally change my name. <laughs> well, you don't have to really change anything. You just have to say it different. Yeah. Um, your your documents can all be uh, stay the same. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can do a um, a Mrs. Bucket. If anyone, if anyone your side of the pond gets that reference, I'll be, I'll be surprised. I don't, but hey, no. you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it's a anthropomorphic bucket that walks around and ha- married to a mop, and um, they can go around and clean houses. That's you know what? Yours is infinitely more interesting, <laughs> so we're just going to go with that one. <laughs> Uh, and I have to apologize to the listeners. Um, I am in an extra squeaky chair today. I was um, uh, dislocated from my ordinary recording space, and so um, I'm tucked away in the bedroom, and um, I'm hoping someone will throw me some food here eventually. But um, <laughs> so, so I'm not in my normal normal chair, so if you hear some extra squeaking, that's, that's my butt. And my butt as well. Right, we're jo- where our butts are joining forces. Well, they are. You to know, squeak. we're going to do a podcast, and our butts are also doing their own podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a se- secret secret butt language yes. that only certain people can hear. Yes, <laughs> mice. It's on our fingers. The only mice can hear. <laughs> M- mice and the occasional dog. Right. <laughs> oh man. Well, hey, Matt, thanks so much for coming on, uh, taking some time. Um, I really appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. Yeah, and we're going to talk about Extraordinary X-Men. We're going to, um, you know, uh, Secret Wars is supposed to be done. <laughs> it, of course, is not, but uh, yeah. Marvel's going to move on anyway. And uh, yeah. so we're in the all-new, all-different X-Era, and we'll, uh, we'll see what it has to offer. But before we get there... Um, you know, Matt has done reviews for us. He did our uh, E is for Extinction review, which were all amazing. In fact, I even had one of our fans tell me that you were the best part of my show. <laughs> oh, then that fan is has genuinely got something against you. <laughs> they, they, they really want to see you fail. Well, um, and, and it's someone I know personally, and they looked me right in the eye and said, I really like that Matt guy that did those reviews. He's the best thing that's ever been on your podcast. <laughs> Like, did you did you like 
bully this kid at school? <laughs> did you, you know, like run over his dog or something? Well, I did take a pen and not give it back the other day, so maybe that was what it was. Well, there, there you go. That's how these things start. Yes. I needed to write something down. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I've... I've done far worse for people not returning pens. Right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Nazi when it comes to pens. I have my own pen. And if someone wants to borrow it, I will stand next to them while they finish writing. And then take <laughs> With it your back. hand out? Yeah. I've, I've, had far too, I've had far too many jobs where someone said, oh, can I borrow your pen? And then you never see it again. Right. So I, I'm that guy. I understand. Um, you know, I do. I work. I get to work from home sometimes, and I keep a, a stash of pens because if I just leave them out in my workstation, they all run off. Yeah. So, but anyway, <laughs> so Matt has done reviews, but this is um, this is his first time on the podcast proper, and so in the uh, podcast that goes snicked tradition. Uh, we're going to kind of dive into his Wolverine origin story, if you will. I know you've told some of your comic origin story on the uh, Intra Comics podcast before. And yeah. if any of my listeners have not given that a try yet. Um, Shame on you yes, all. Yeah, get off your ass and do it. Um, <laughs> we've had plenty of uh, crossover and it is well past time to uh, be listening to both shows nonstop, 24-7. Um <laughs> anyway, so Matt, what uh, what's your first kind of memory of encountering Wolverine as a character, whether it be in the comics or in a different medium? Um, I think the first time I ever knew of Wolverine was the 90s animated show. Right. Uh, we all go in three for three on the Intercomics podcast. That has been yeah. all three of your uh, responses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it, it was just that great time when I was growing up because yeah. you had the the Bruce Timm animated show, you had the Spider Man animated show, and the X Men animated show. Now, I don't think either of the Marvel ones has aged particularly well. No, the Batman um, has though. Yeah, it's still really good. Yeah, the Batman one's phenomenal. It, it makes me wonder why DC just don't make that every month. <laughs> right. it, it just boggles the mind, but. Um, no, that it was it was the animated show that sort of first introduced me to the world of the X Men. Right, and so like as a kid, Wolverine always stood out to me. Um, I, I must be honest when it comes to the X Men, I'm a Gambit man. Oh, really? I always have been, That's always cool. will be, and I'm not ashamed to say it. But w- Wolverine was a, a big part of my childhood. It's sort of, you know. Awesome. Whenever someone else stole Gambit on the playground, I always ended up being Wolverine. <laughs> was um, your second choice? <laughs> yeah, mainly just because I'm kind of hairy, and you know, I, I, th- I think I've got like a menacing stare. There you go. Um, if anyone's seen my uh, Twitter profile, uh, done by um, the picture done by uh, Ted Brandt and Rosie. Oh yes, yeah, so good. Um, that that's that perfectly encapsulates my genuine like everyday look. Just right. you know, a horrible scowl. You know, <laughs> don't don't come within like eight feet of me. Kind of look. Um, awesome. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a right nice guy, but I'm the kind of guy that old ladies don't want to sit next to on the bus. <laughs> I, I I just have that look. You know. Um. But, so yeah, it was it was the animated show that. 
sort of introduced me. Um, I remember playing a crap load of the old X-Men arcade game with my brother as a oh, kid. Oh, nice. He, because he was my older brother, he always beat me to Wolverine because ah. Wolverine was his favourite. Um, I actually have... I've got a Wolverine tattoo because of him. Really? Yeah. Uh, I had it done uh, earlier in the year. Uh, it's on the back of my left calf. Oh, um, wow. My uh, my brother had always said that if he could ever get a tattoo, that's what he'd have done. Uh, and unfortunately, he's quite ill. Right. So he's not able to. So I had it done in his honor. That's really and sweet, dude. A, that's, that's really cool of you. You have to... Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind, if it's, if it's, if you want to kind of keep it in the family, that's cool. But if you don't mind, you should send a picture, or tweet it to me, and I'll uh, put it I'll, on the on the I web page. I definitely will. Yeah, I think I think there's some pictures of it out there oh, somewhere. Okay. All right. Because um, I remember taking one a couple of days after I'd had it done, but it's a Bruce Tim version of Wolverine. Oh, that in sounds the amazing. Good old blue and gold suit. Yeah, that sounds um, great. So I, you know, I've I've got. I've got Wolverine on my leg. Um, <laughs> you know, I grew up watching Wolverine and then later reading Wolverine. And, you know, he was, I, I think for a lot of people, he was sort of like the breaking character for that part of the Marvel right. universe. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think a lot of it is to do with just his physicality, just the, the fact that he will go and just, you know, slice a dude in half. Right. It's, you know, a, a lot of people have got anger issues when they're in their <laughs> formative years, and I think Wolverine is a good, good venting platform for that. Yeah, well, um, he just looks cool, right? and when you're yeah. kind of just diving in, you know, I mean, comics is a visual medium, and you yeah. have this guy that just looks badass, and it's just really easy to kind of have that as a gateway. Yeah, I I, I do think of the last few years though that Wolverine has changed an awful lot from. Sort of like the Wolverine that I remember, right? Uh, which which isn't a bad thing because you know the the thing about comics is, is it's the it's the never ending second act storytelling, right? You know, it's it's all it's always in that middle that middle period of change. So nothing right. ever ends. Everything always changes. And everything always keeps going, and. You know, the, you know, the times have changed. It isn't the '90s anymore. You know, so the characters are going to be different. And I think you, you know, as you age, you end up siding more with different characters. It's like when I was a kid, I hated Cyclops, but then as I got older, I grew, I grew to love Cyclops as a character. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Interesting you know, to hear your reaction to what's going on with Cyclops in this book. Yeah, uh, well, actually, it's a little uh, little sneaky peek. I was talking to uh, Dan, one of my co-hosts, earlier on today, and we were talking about this book because we were talking about my uh, debut on the podcast that goes snicked. <laughs> and um, he actually brought up something that I'd completely just missed the first time round. Oh, and it wow. was all to do with Cyclops. Yeah. So that's the level of dedication I bring to this, folks. <laughs> you know, I, I, hey. Sometimes I don't even read the words. I just look at the pictures. Well, this was an easy book to look at, but we'll, yeah, we'll get I, to that in a minute. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Um, well, so what do you, I mean, I guess you kind of already answered that. So I, normally I follow up with, what do you think of him now? I mean, you kind of already yeah. talked about that. So 
Um, well, you want to you want to go ahead and get to our our book at hand. Yeah, I think we should. Otherwise, there's there's all chance of me just rambling on for several hours about things that <laughs> have no no connection whatsoever to comics. That's okay. I I sometimes think our listeners prefer the rambling to the actual content. Um. <laughs> all right, so we have extraordinary X Men number one. I will say, go do a little plug. I actually did a review for this for uh, Entra Comics, the website. Um, did a, a written review, so I will try to kind of, you know, one of the things when Dan asked me to do that, I was really excited, but in the back of my head, I was kind of like, oh, how do I do something different so I'm not just repeating myself, and I, I'm going to try to uh, be be diverse, but I think an, a good way to do that is just let you do a lot of the talking, <laughs> so, um, so I'll kind of defer and ask some questions and kind of get, get a lot of your input, which is why you're here anyway, so. Okay, um, Okay. I will say one of the things I was most excited about as soon as I picked it up is that extraordinary was spelled normally. Yes. I really appreciated that it wasn't X hyphen tranordinary. Yeah. Well, like we said earlier, it isn't the 90s anymore. Right. Not everything has to start with an X. No, um, there are plenty of X puns in here. So they, they yeah. make up for it with... Um, X dash Haven and all that, but um, yeah. But anyway, so this is the uh the first chapter in a new quote unquote era of the X Men, um, and it's going to be written by new uh, X writer Jeff Lemire, with pencils by Umberto Ramos, inks by Victor Alazaba, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, Ramos and Delgado did the cover, and what do we have on the cover, Matt? Um, well, we have the sort of typical, the the, the classic X-Men cover, yes. as I see it. It's just a, a group shot of all, all all our main characters, all of them, you know, just ready to go and kick some ass. Yes. Um, I absolutely adore this new costume that Storm has got. I do too. I like it a lot. I'm not going to lie. I, lo- I love the last redesign. Uh, the black suit, I thought yeah. that was great. The one that Chris Anka did? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, Chris Anka could do anything. Yes. He, he could he could redesign a dustbin, and it would be <laughs> beautiful. Um, but I love this cover. I, I'm not sure what it is, is whether it's just because it you know, goes with her hair so well. Right. Because she's still rocking the mohawk. But I think it's, it's such a dramatic look to her. Right. And... For a long time, I never liked Storm's outfits because I just like I hated those weird wing cape things. The cockroach thing was very seventies, and that's the one she yeah. had forever until she went to the punk thing. Yeah, which was interesting. And of course, we got the mohawk, and that was a good touch because I like Storm with the mohawk. Yeah, and I like uh, I like Ramos doing kind of the thicker mohawk. I I enjoyed that. Yeah, it, it it reminds me a little of the um, uh, the Captain Marvel do. Yeah, when yeah. Uh, McKelvey first redesigned Carol to be Captain Marvel, and she had that sort of weird thick bit on the top of her head, right? Which a lot of people didn't like, but I thought looked cool. 
Uh, it was pretty hip, so I mean, yeah. I think it went what he was going for. Yeah, and uh, to be also, to be honest, it's, uh, Ramos does tend to draw things a little thicker anyway. Right. It's just his style. He's got like a chunky, sort of like an action figure style. Yeah, I can see that. You know, so like you you can see like Colossus as this big hulking dude <laughs> with sort of like a giant chest and shoulders and right. sort of like a almost like a diminutive waist but these big chunky legs and stuff right um i was i was a little interested with the new nightcrawler um uniform if i'm honest with the like the chain mail sleeves. yeah it's really interesting and i don't know i mean interested to hear ramos kind of talk about that because one of the things we get back to that, and we'll go ahead and just kind of throw this out there. We'll talk about it more in the story as well. But um, we kind of have a re, uh, a more focus on Nightcrawler's religion again. Yeah. And this kind of I don't I don't know if this is the best part of religion to focus on, but this kind of reminded me a little bit of like almost a Crusader type outfit. Yeah. No. De- definitely. And, I I think I think that's probably the the best way to put it. It's. I, I think Nightcrawler's at his best when he's able to embrace that part of him. Yes, I agree. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's so like he's a multifaceted character, like a lot of them. But you know, he he's sort of the the heart and soul of the X Men, right? For a lot of people, and that that background to him, that side of him, is a key part of it. Whether you're religious or not, it's sort of he's impassioned. He's like passionate about something, right? Well, that's, that's one of the things I've always enjoyed. Uh, one of my favorite relationships in comics ever is the Wolverine-Nightcrawler friendship. And kind of the give and take there, because Wolverine kind of doesn't believe in anything beyond what he can see, and the Nightcrawler who has this deep faith, but they're still best friends. And yeah. I think that, to me, kind of symbolizes the X-Men mission in general, and what X-Men always kind of represented to me is that we can all be different and still be together. And like that's, yeah. Yeah, so I've always just really loved that about both characters. Yeah, what do you think of the the Iceman outfit? Um, that's the one that I think <laughs> has gone the most unnoticed out of all of them because he's it's just the it's it's almost like a traditional X Men bodysuit, right? But I think that's the thing. But we're, we're so yeah, we're so used <laughs> to seeing him now basically naked in his ice form right or you know let's not forget the bandana era you <laughs> yeah, know. <let's> do. <laughs> um you know so it's it's one of those things that i think there's probably a lot of people out there that are really going to react negatively to this because they they have their way of seeing iceman and to them iceman is like johnny storm he's just walking ice right which which is fair enough but you know why not give him her suit you know it's like yeah he's 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 made of condensed water particles he's pretty tough but i'm pretty certain he's been shot a bunch of times right and this is yeah so why not let him have some sort of kevlar jumpsuit on yeah i agree uh i'll be honest one one of my favorite Parts of the design for this new lineup is the uh, Colossus beard. 
Yes, I love the kind of the, I think magic even kind of pokes fun in it, kind of the, the hipster thing. But yeah, but I like like the short hair and then the tuft and the beard. It looks, it's a nice look for him. Yeah, I um, to be honest, when I first saw it, it instantly made me think of the whole Red Hulk Thunderbolt Ross argument. It's like, well, how can how can Thunderbolt Ross be the Red Hulk? Where's his mustache when he changes? Oh, right, right, yeah. right. Now, <laughs> I personally would have loved to have seen a Red Hulk with a giant slug mustache. Yeah, I on would his too. Face. I would too. That would have been great. But I totally understood the argument of you know his skin expanding outwards and just enveloping everything. <laughs> but you know, Colossus's mutation is organic steel. Hair is organic. Right. Why? Why shouldn't he be able to incorporate it into his, you know, the metal version of himself? Yeah. Um, you know what I'd love a, to see is for him to use his metal beard as a weapon. That would be. Like just hit fantastic. someone in the face with it, just like yeah. chin them. It'd be awesome. I have uh, an uncle who lives in Canada, and. He's lived there my entire life. We, we don't get to see him all that often. It's maybe once every you know four or five years he manages to come over. And when I was a kid, his favorite thing to do to me was give me a whisker rub. <laughs> where he'd just pick me up and just, he'd just rub his face against mine because he had this big, thick ginger beard. <laughs> That's awesome. And at the, at the time, it was horrible, but I look back on it now quite fondly because right. I'm now a bearded man. That, that, that's the kind of thing that I could do to my kids if I have kids. Right. You know? um, so I, w- I would love it if, you know, he just, so, I don't know, someone goes to punch him in the face and get some kind of metal whisker burn oh, on their knuckles. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of cool stuff they could do with it, besides yeah. just him looking badass. Like yeah. They could actually use it. So It's like Magic's costume, I think, is sort of magic as we've seen her for a while now. Yeah. She's just a little more armoured up. I'm not, not quite sure about the boob window in her costume. It seems but, like we're kind of past that by now, but... Yeah, it's just, she's more covered up than she was. Right. I just don't understand why they didn't just elect to cover her up completely. Yeah, you know? I don't know. Um, but, you know, again, you, you're talking about a, a medium whose core demographic is, you know, <laughs> s- single males between, like, 15 and 30, really. I did quite like the... You know, Jean Grey, Marvel Girl. I really like, yeah, like just kind of updating the original, or not the original, but I guess her, her first redesign from back yeah. in the day. No, that was really cool. Yeah, I, I'm glad they got rid of like the pointy face mask. Yes, because I never really liked that. But <laughs> you know, it's, I, I think it's a, you know, it's a, it, it's a good modern look. And let's be honest, Wolverine never looks bad. In a leather jacket. No, not with the fur collar and the. No, I, uh, I'm I'm looking for. I currently have a Wolverine leather jacket. Oh, nice. The it was it's based on the one from Wolverine Origins. Oh, okay, which, cool. Which isn't as cool, but I liked that jacket. Oh, it is a nice um, jacket. I had a friend that had one like that. It was yeah. really cool. It's it's getting a little old now, and somehow it's got a giant tear in the side of it. Oh no! Which I liked. 
I like to think it's battle damage, but I know I just probably <laughs> walked into something. Um, so I think maybe I need to get a leather bomber jacket to just continue the theme. Yeah, that would be sweet. Yeah. Plus, it'll keep you warm on those cold English nights. Well, funny you should say that. We're currently in the middle of a heat wave over here. Oh, yeah. I guess y'all are, are y'all opposite of us season-wise? Uh, no, no. We're the, we're the same. Okay. Um, it's just for whatever reason, it's not as cold as it should be. Oh, interesting. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the middle of November. I'm sleeping with my window open. That's funny. I went to a, a festival in Austin yesterday, uh, the Fun 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 Fest, and um, I saw a couple of British bands uh, from the actually old 90s British bands, one of which I wasn't real familiar with. I think I tweeted you about them, um, the Charlatans, and then, yeah. then of course, Ride, who is one of my all-time favorite bands, finally got back together, and I saw them, but they they both commented that, here we are, oh, I, can't, I, won't, I won't insult you with an accent. Uh, <laughs> And they're like, here we are in Texas, and, and the weather's all English. <laughs> you know, like, uh, that was funny. Yeah, well, the can the I say only bring... English accent I can do is like Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins. And I won't, well, I won't punish let you. Let me let you into a little secret. That is basically how everyone in London sounds. <laughs> awesome. That, that is on, honest to God's truth. It's go all London, Guy Ritchie movies. <laughs> yeah, that's how they sound. Exactly. <laughs> It's just when you get out of the capital city that, you know, people develop accents and stuff. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. All right, well, so what? We start this issue, and we're eight months after the end of Secret Wars. And uh, we kind of start off with Storm, um, kind of just talking about how terrible everything is. Looks very consternated. Is that the right way to say that? Uh, I believe so. Okay. But but I am heavily medicated on cold medicine, so <laughs> I'm not even sure if I'm actually talking to anybody right now. This could all be in my imagination. Well, speaking of talking to someone in your imagination, uh, Storm is having a conversation with the uh, deceased Professor X. And so what's... Uh, she's basically asking him, like, how'd you do this? How'd you, how'd you shepherd all these mutants? You have any feelings on what's going on there? Is she like was a visualization just a way for us to see that she's having an an internal monologue? Do you think she's hallucinating? Do you think this is some kind of like astral like remnant, or what do you think's going on? See, I I, I think the Professor X is there. It's just a, a visual nod, okay, to what went before. But that being said. This is the X-Men. So (laughs) it could possibly be, we may find out like 20 issues down the line that (laughs) Professor X's consciousness is somehow in Storm's mind as well. Oh, that'd be interesting. When I read it, I I thought it was just a, it was just a visualization of the, you know, the monologue she's having with herself. That's what I thought too. But Denise asked me after she read it, if uh, Storm was hallucinating, like she was going crazy. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. I don't know. So I thought I'd see what you what you thought about it. So then Iceman comes in. He's like, hey, what's up, Storm? And uh, so apparently Magic is having some trouble. And uh, what's she doing? Uh, she's off in far-off lands. Uh, I believe it's India. Yeah, this one's India. Wrong. Yeah. There is, uh, yet again, more anti-mutant groups out there. And uh, they're all talking about a um, 
a virus, an M-pox, as it were. Yeah. Um, they're thinking that, you know, mutants are somehow some kind of disease. But as we find out within these next couple of pages, which does feature magic just just, just owning a bunch of yokels, really. It's like you don't ever want to piss off a... You know, someone with such magical power as right. she does in a giant sword. sword. Yeah, so she's basically yeah. rescuing a poor mutant kid who's very sick, from what we'll talk about here in a second, from this, yeah. not only an angry crowd, but actually the military. And I gotta say, that page of her, it's not quite a double-page spread, because there's a couple other captions. But with her, like, going, get back, and that face and everything, that's an awesome panel. I also really like magic as kind of this, like, warrior protector. Yeah. Because I feel I like, think... I, you know, I know the Bendis run was kind of, people either loved it or hated it. I personally yeah. liked it a lot. But the thing about it, for, from the magic perspective, is there was a little bit of that, hey, I'm training with Doctor Strange now, which we still pick up on. But for the most part, in the Bendis run, magic was teleport you here, say something snarky, teleport you back. And that was kind of her character arc. So I'm, I'm glad to already see her kind of being like something else, like actually like fighting and, and really kind of being one of the most proactive agents of the X-Men as far as doing the search and rescue. Like I'm already like, this, this is already a step up from where we've been with her for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, it, really it's much like we were talking about with Nightcrawler earlier on. It's always much more interesting when someone's passionate about something. Right. And the fact that she's, she seemingly actively cares about these you know, new mutants and these vulnerable mutants that she's, you know, because of her ability, she's able to get there quicker than anyone else. Right, yeah. So it makes sense that she'd be, you know, first line of defense, as it were. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought the same thing sort of reading through. So I was just thinking, you know, at no point has she just sort of sighed and made some offhand remark and then disappeared again. She's <laughs> she, she's actually making an attempt. The um, there's the, um, the 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 bubble where she's talking to the young girl, uh, and she says, you, "You know, you don't need to be afraid anymore. I will help you. Do you trust me? Will you come with me?" You know, she's she's bonding with this person. She's right. making a, a genuine effort to not just be, you know, what, what essentially is she could be a horrible monster. Oh, well, she doesn't show her the demon legs, so that's good. <laughs> the dark child or whatever she does. But, um, yeah. yeah, so she takes them. I thought it was interesting that she takes the whole family. She takes them back to uh, X-Haven and... um. Are you saying that right? Are you are you crossing your arms as you do it? Oh yeah, like like doing the old Cyclops X, yeah, <laughs> X Haven. Already already working on the poster. Nice. <laughs> and so here we we get a, a look too that we see some of our uh, kind of X Men students that we're used to are, are still around for the most part. We have Anoli and Glob Herman and some of the others that. They're still hanging around. Um, we get a nice, awesome double-page spread that just looks beautiful. Um, and the colors in this book are so great. Yeah. Um, and we have Storm and Iceman and Magic kind of storms. <laughs> Don't really know why she's using lightning here, but she is, and it looks great. <laughs> and um, the other students are kind of 
moving stuff around. I really like that the students, like the more established students, are like kind of in charge of helping the new students and like doing the relief work and stuff like that. I kind of everybody has a job to do. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it makes it feel more like um, more like a community. Yes. It, it doesn't doesn't so much feel as just like a, it's a school, and you have all the senior members who are the teachers, and on a night you know jet off somewhere far away and beat <laughs> right. up some bad guys. It feels like that there's a, a mission statement here that everyone kind of knows what is happening, right? And everyone like you say, has a job to do. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's probably credit to Lemire. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the things that he's coming with. You know, he's gone, right, right. I'm, I'm doing this X-Men book. So this, this is what I want. Yeah, no, I and, agree. You know, one of the, one of the things he's always good at is making his books feel complete. You know, ev- everything always feels rounded. It's not just left to second guess. Uh, that's cool. Though apparently a Noel's job, speaking of everyone having a job, apparently his job is to move around short boxes of comic books. <laughs> hey, everybody needs comics. That's right. Even the if X-Men. They, yeah. <laughs> uh, so then, um, so I guess you want to talk about like what the overarching, have, the, have we already kind of encountered? So, so what's kind of the overarching problem the X-Men are facing here? Well, the um, you know the the big theme that I think is going to be a part of at least this initial storyline is the Inhumans and the Terrigen Mists right. and the effect that it's had on the mutant community. Now, there's going to be a lot of people out there who are going to sit and go, "Oh, they're going to kill off all the X Men," and you people are insane. <laughs> So why why on earth would a publisher want to get rid of one of their biggest and most popular franchises right. just because they don't own the movie rights? You need to sit down, drink less caffeine, <laughs> and you know just just get you know get some fresh air or something. Just right. crawl out of your basement and just go outside for a little while. I'll be perfectly honest; I'm not much of a fan of the Inhumans. I've never really been an Inhumans fan. Uh, to be honest, if they all got wiped out, with the exception <laughs> of Lockjaw, I would be perfectly happy. Because I, I love Lockjaw. Yeah. He, he could be in every book for me, and right. he wouldn't feel out of place. Yeah, you got to keep Miss Marvel, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, and Miss Marvel. I yeah, can't. It's, it's, it's hard to forget, or it's easy to forget she's an Inhuman. Yeah, but, I, I think it's because I don't see her as an inhuman. I see her as Ms. Marvel. Yeah, she's just her own thing, yeah. right? But yeah, that, that that's sort of like the big story that they're alluding to. Yeah, and, and so so apparently the Terrigen Mist are, of course, if you have the inhuman gene, they they put you in a cocoon. If you're a human, it doesn't affect you. But if you have the X gene, it's making you really sick and also sterilizing you. So we're basically facing um, possible extinction for the mutant species. Uh, that's kind of the that's that's the trouble, which is interesting. What do you think about the whole like sterilization thing and the? To be honest, it feels like a safe play to me. Okay, um, it's one of those storylines that has reoccurred in the X books for a right. good number of years now. Yeah, and. 
it feels like it's a you know like a comfortable place to start off from. Right. Uh, it's one thing that I've noticed with pretty much all of the new number ones that Marvel have put out over the last couple of weeks that everything feels quite safe. Yeah. It's as if they've gone, we don't we don't want to screw over the people that have been reading for years and we don't want to confuse people who are just getting into these books, which is <laughs> the whole the whole point of this relaunch is to right. get new people interested. So let's just you know, they've put out good, solid books, but there hasn't been one yet that has like blown me away. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I would say some of the quality has been pretty impressive, but no, there's nothing really shocking. Yeah, you know, and and it's much like this book. It's it's a good, solid book, but it's not an explosive number one. Now, maybe we've just been spoiled over the last few years because we've had a bunch of different series, you know, from from Marvel, from DC, from Image, you know, Dark Horse, Boom all those guys that they've come out and drop new series and you've gone, Oh my God, this, this first issue is great. <laughs> and we're sort of, we're expecting that every time. Right. And if you know, it feels a little disappointed when you don't come out of a new number one and go, that was incredible. I have to go tell everybody about it. But at the end of the day, they're, they're putting out good, solid books and so far of the number ones that I've read, there hasn't really been one that has sort of like underwhelmed me, really. You know, I've been happy with the end product. And I think that's that's kind of the mandate across the entire line. Right. I, th- I think Marvel's probably gone, right, we want to we wanna establish that this is something new, but we don't want to... We don't want a new fifty to it and just scrap it all and start again. <laughs> right. You know, we we want to, we want to have some continuity. Yeah, well, I think and, I think part of the problem is, and or maybe it's not maybe problem is the wrong word, but I think I think kind of what well, a little bit of what's happening is, you know, I guess kind of the way I look at these number ones is, you know, you talk about like the new series, which are all exciting, like uh, with Image or, or Dark Horse or whatever. But those those also have the advantage of of introducing new properties. Mm. And so when you have an established property, I think what Marvel what they're kind of doing it seems like it's kind of with these new number ones. It's almost more of a, of a instead of a series premiere, it's a season premiere. Yeah. If you want to compare it to TV, and so I I feel like yeah, you're, it's hard to kind of say here's this brand new thing, but instead you say well here's these things you already love, or maybe you know that someone else loves them and you want to check it out, how can we make it really good and have enough of a new plot to keep you interested? And I, yeah. I will say the thing I thought was a little bit different about about this Impox or the, or the Terrigen missing that's going on is if you compare it to, like, you know, viruses for the X-Men, like you said, are a very commonly used plot device. You know, I think the one the one that's probably the most easy to think of is a legacy virus, yeah, uh, that really attacked mutants. But I feel like the scene in India really set this up that, that whether it is true or not, the humans are very much afraid that whatever disease the mutants have could spread to them. Now, yeah. I, I'm thinking the way the Terrigen Mist works, that's not a valid fear. But I mean, honestly, 
as societies. We have a whole lot of invalid fears, and I thought that was pretty realistic to include. And so that kind of raises the whole, like, fear and hate that, you know, the X-Men always fight against. Like, it takes it to a little bit of a, maybe not a new level, but it puts it in a nice, suspenseful, just a lot of tension to start this this new series. Yeah. I think what he's done is he's taken an old idea and made it topical again. Right. Obviously, you know, we... It seems like every year there's another new virus hitting the news. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I remember a couple of years ago when it was bird flu. And, you know, the only way a human could get bird flu was by ingesting particles of bird feces <laughs> right. from birds that had the disease. But people were terrified, you know, they were boycotting buying chicken, <laughs> they didn't want any kind of poultry at all, right. they were telling you to kill your pets, you yeah. know, in case they get bird flu. It's just, it's that kind of societal mentality of, you know, well, it's something new and it's something different, so we must be afraid of it. Yeah, well, I think, I think kind of the fear-mongering is exactly what Lemire is, is hitting on, and I really kind of enjoyed that as far as, uh, you know, things like this that happen, these kind of crises, and we, we, I mean, let's face it, in our world we see a new crisis almost every day. And it kind of brings out the worst and the best in people. You have people that are compassionate and want to try to understand and to help and educate or whatever, then you have people that are just scared and... That fear leads to closing off. It leads to prejudice. Yeah. It leads to hatred. And so I think Lemire kind of using this mutant disease as a catalyst to kind of show how we respond to different crises was was really kind of brilliant. Like the topic itself of the virus is not that new, but it was a fresh twist on it. Yeah. You know, I've, I've said for a good number of years now that a person... A singular person is sort of smart and logical and, <laughs> you, know, you know, able to disseminate information and find a fact. Right. People are morons. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, it, 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 it's always the same. It doesn't matter what happens. You get so, – something happens in the world. A person can sort of develop an opinion on it based on fact. People just give in to base instincts, right? And that that is where I think the the terror and the conflict is going to come from in this book. It's the you know it's the, the you know basically the the X Men going out trying to change the world one person at a time, right? Because they know from previous experiences that you can't you can't make a big grand statement. And, you know, come out and say that, you know, this is a mutant revolution and things are going to change. Because all that happens is his shield shows up at your door and tries to shoot you. <laughs> right. You know, so obviously they're going at a much smaller scale, but they're facing ever stacking odds. I agree. I think it's pretty brilliant. Which is why I think this next sequence is... It's quite smart in what it actually does, where we jump to Manhattan in uh, Empire State University, of course. Right, that's where uh, all where the Marvel find, kids go. Yeah, we find uh, Jean Grey taking a class. 
and we find out that she's uh, you know taking a break from being a superhero right. from being an active member of the x-men roster and she just wants to live a normal life and you know storm and iceman show up right and like, they basically give you. her <laughs> we give her the, the proposition of you know the x-men need a gene gray because you know while you know, while Nightcrawler may be the true heart of the X-Men, Jean Grey is the face of the heart. You yeah, know, she's the true. one who everyone is always drawn to. It's, it's like the ongoing joke from, um, <laughs> you know, many Jean. members of the X-Faction. You know, everybody loves Jean Grey. Right. And maybe, just maybe, in this instance, a young teenage girl who's experienced in our society for the first time you know who's come from a completely different a different time in fact right maybe she's just what they need she is the fresh pair of eyes you know everyone else has been you know they've seen some things and some stuff you know jeans coming into this is almost a blank canvas right you know so the fact that they've gone, well, we want Jean Grey on the team and we want you. We've not magically brought back old Jean Grey. <laughs> we, you know, we're, we're coming to you, the time-displaced Jean Grey, right. because we need, we need you. We need you to guide us. Maybe not in a traditional leader role of, you know, connecting everyone's minds together and swaying the path of the team, but just to come in and sort of stand back and look at things and say, well, this is the situation and Storm as team leader, you're saying this, but what about this? Yeah. You know, I, th- I think it's it's quite a... It, I think it was written off to begin with as just sort of like, oh, well, they've just put a Jean Grey on the team. But Lemire totally justifies her existence in this book in a couple of pages and not, not through any like overly dramatic dialogue just by saying, you know, we, you know, we need you. This is, this is what you're built for. Right. It doesn't mean that you can't have this normal life, but you know, at the end of the day, everyone has responsibilities. Yep. So you're an X-Men. Yeah. You know, it's like you will get your time off. (laughs) We just need you to work right now. Yeah. I yeah. love how Jean responds to that, though, because she's like, and then you talk about how the X-Men need her kind of as a symbol, mm. and she basically says, well, that's all fine and good, but I don't want to be your mascot. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what she says, which is understandable. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things they did, that the, the Bendis did really early on in All New X-Men, was he exposed this, our younger Jean, to all the horrible fates that her older self would go through or had gone through, however you want to look at it time-wise. So she's aware of like kind of what her quote-unquote destiny is supposed to be, and I don't blame her for trying to run away from that. As a person, like you would do everything you could to avoid those circumstances, and one of the things you would do would, would eventually try to change your surroundings, change where you are in the world, like, if this leads to this, then I want to go as far away from this as possible, you know? Yeah. And, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was really cool. Kind of the, the way, of course they give her a uh, Chekhov's, um, 
portable cerebro, you know when you see that that that's not the end of the story. Yeah. <laughs> like that's gonna come back. Um <laughs> But it's also really I I mean I think I always think it's funny when they choose to do rain because it's kind of like, I think it's just an excuse for the arts to draw really cool rain. But Ramos does really, really cool rain here. <laughs> yeah, he does. And again, I think it's just that that sort of chunky style that he has. Yeah. He makes it he makes it incredibly atmospheric. Yeah. Well, and then... I'm pretty certain he does very little. Because when you sort of like you get close and you look at some of these panels, it's really it's just lines, right? It's always it's just layered lines over the top of the image, and occasionally he's put like a squiggle, <laughs> but he, it to, it totally fits in with how he draws characters, and you know it's sort of. Let's be honest. If Storm's showing up, there's going to be some rain somewhere. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The, the, weather is going to be incredibly dramatic so why not <laughs> why not have it as the backdrop to you know what could be perceived as a overly dramatic scene right you know we get the point where she touches into storm's mind to find out what's going on what's been happening while she's been away and again we get this gorgeous full page panel which is just a wash with incredible colors. Yeah, that, that, man. such a night. Those orange tones are just beautiful. I agree. So and it, you oh, know, we so. get a nice summation of basically what's happened in the last few months. It's yeah. it's a good way of giving exposition without it just being exposition. Right. So, what do you think of the whole um, Cyclops thing? I'm. I want to know what has happened. I want to know specifics because currently it just seems like Cyclops is the token bad guy again. Right. You know, it's like every so often there's a particular character that the X-Men don't like, be them (laughs) a genuine villain or a hero that's fallen out of favor. It's like, remember for a long time, the X-Men didn't like professor X and they cast him out and sent him away. Right. He's a dick. You know, so it's all I, I want to know some actual context because at the minute it just seems like a continuation of well, Cyclops is bad, so let's just be mad at him, right? Which in like Uncanny 600, yeah, that's it, that's it, to me was the weirdest part is because these yeah, books came out on the same day, yeah, and you know, it's sort of it, it de- deals with a lot of things. Well, it deals with pretty much everything that's happened in Bendis's run. Right. Yeah. But it you know, it sort of it le- it leaves the booking sort of like almost like a hopeful place. Right. Like things are going to be okay, and it's you know, it's like they they even call out Hank on it, and it's like you're constantly blaming Scott, but even Scott has stood up and said, "Look, I made a mistake. You yeah. have to let it go." And right. then in the book, which directly follows it, Scott's the bad guy again. Right. So I, I want to yeah. know some context for this. I want to know a bit more about it. Well, have you be, read be, um, Uncanny and Humans, number one? Uh, I haven't, no. Okay. So they hint in that, and, and not nearly as, as well as this issue, but they hint in there that there was a major conflict between Cyclops and some X-Men 
with the Inhumans. Like yeah. maybe like after the whole reveal of the of the Mpox came about, maybe he blamed mm. the Inhumans or something. And so and it, it this book seems to indicate he did something pretty terrible in that conflict. Yeah. And kind of vilified him, made him kind of more like Magneto, which Bendis's whole Cyclops arc was is Cyclops going to eventually be Magneto or is it going to be Professor X? Mm. Right, that was the whole kind of conundrum of, of Cy- what Cyclops is trying to do. And so apparently this ends with you know Cyclops having done something just, just heinous. Um, I will say for me, be- between reading the two issues, in Uncanny and Humans, it really felt like they talk about this conflict and it doesn't make any sense of what's going on in that story, and it really feels like there's a plot missing. Mm. Whereas I felt like in this issue, I I agree with you, I don't want it to be drawn out like for two years, but it was enough of a mystery that like, okay, I want to actually see this unfold and get the reveals over time. Yeah. And it wasn't as frustrating, whereas in, when I first read Uncanny and Humans, and they talked about it, it felt really frustrating that you didn't know what happened, whereas this one yeah. felt more like, okay, that's a good mystery. Let's find out, you know? Yeah. And I think part of that's just to give credit to Lemire that he just did a really good job writing yeah. about it. Because I'm sure, to to a degree, some of that was probably editorially mandated, which is uh, never a good thing for a writer. Um, anytime you take away freedom, it really challenges them to... Can they still give their vision? And I think Lemire yeah. did a good job of saying, okay, this is what I have to do. How do I incorporate that with what I want to do and still make a good story? And I feel like he did a really good job. Yeah. And I think, you know, from what you've told me about that Inhumans issue, it seems like it's more important to them than it is currently to the X-Men. Like, from reading this issue, obviously they're dealing with the fallout of what's happened. Right. But their concern is protecting mutants. Their concern isn't, this mutant did a bad thing to us, you know? Right. So I, I think that, that, that can only help this book, really, is the fact that we're coming at it from another side of the argument. That True. We're not looking at it as, well, Cyclops is a bad person. It's just Cyclops has done something that we don't really agree with. Yeah. You know? Maybe. I mean, depending on what it actually turns out he did. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, I want to know what, what it is. And hopefully, in, like, in this sort of run, in this you know, first four to six issues, however long this arc is going to be, that we'll find that out. Right. You know, it, even if we don't know the intricacies of it, we just know the, the deed I, th- I think we need a bit more clarity. Yeah, I agree. Oh. I, I think we will. And if I was a betting man, I think a few months down the road, we will probably get a miniseries that, that shows the whole war. Yeah. Between and he, and like, it'll be a nice event or whatever. And they'll be like, see, you know, the war that happened between secret wars and all new whatever. Yeah. And, you know, whatever. Maybe Do you think they be... could get away with calling the IVX? <laughs> Do you think? Do you think they could, is that too on the nose? <laughs> I wouldn't put past anything past them, so I don't know. <laughs> um, well, let, let, let's let's go away from speculation okay. and talk about something that is 
it's it, just downright astonishing to coin another uh, X-Men oh, phrase. Yes. Um, the fact that Colossus oh, pulling gosh. pulling a plow by himself, yeah. who looks to be a bear of a man, right. is then confronted by an actual bear. <laughs> right. Now, I, I don't want to see... I, I don't want to see anything happen, like horrible happen to an innocent animal. Right. But I'd like to see a bit of friendly wrestling between <laughs> Colossus and this bear. I would like to see a, a flashback issue somewhere where it turns out that the bear and Colossus are actually friends. Right, right. Because that that double spread of Colossus on the farm. Oh, man. The, again, the colors. Yeah. So beautiful. You, and... You, Oh, so great. One of the things I, I talked about in my review I did for you guys was that Delgado really, like, the color through the whole book feels very connected. Like, there's no jarring changes, but there's a lot of subtle changes from scene to scene, not just to show the scenery, but actually show, like, where the character is. Like, the colors in the magic scene are very dark, very primal, very intense, because she's out being a warrior. Yeah. And here the colors are very, like, natural, peaceful, and because Colossus is at a different place in his mm-hmm. journey. And I thought the colors did a great job of, of telling you where the characters are, and that's to all to Delgado's credit. Yeah. Yeah, well, he did, if I remember rightly, he did a few issues of um, the Axis series. Or oh, should I say the miniseries? Probably, I don't remember. Um, I, I, I they, try not to dwell on that series too yeah. much. <laughs> well, we try not to, but, you know, the, the the colors were some of the best things in that book. Right. You know, with the, with the constantly rotating uh, artists, well, you know, pencilers, it was really difficult to get any kind of continuity, but the colors were gorgeous. Yes, they were. That was a, that was a really poppy, vibrant book, and... Thankfully, this is as well. I mean, it's easy to make a big energy effect look flashy, but to have something as subtle as an orange sunlight coming through Colossus's cabin window, yeah, yeah, look as beautiful as it does. Now, now that's that that's a genuine talent. That is. Yes, I agree. And then you know you flip over the page, the, the page, and you get um, Ileana and Peter talking about what it was like when they were kids, you know, living on the farm, and you get these really, really muted colours in this flashback. Right. It's sort of these. It's a wash with blues, but yeah. you still get these little hints of sort of reds in there as well, and it it, it just makes the whole image just come to life. Well, it and again, the, like the a, color changes the mood. Like, Colossus is thinking yeah. of this unpleasant memory. And so, obviously, I mean, I think it's a pretty common coloring trick to kind of do muted tones in a flashback. But to do the blue to kind of show, hey, this is not a happy time I'm thinking of here was really cool. It was interesting yeah. to see a little skinny, metaled-up Colossus. I thought that was funny. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's nice, though, that he's got the... He does he, like his expression is sort of mirrored, yes, in both versions of himself. Right, the fact that obviously he lo- he looks a little more traumatized as a boy because obviously he's going through something traumatic, but there's still that sadness in his eyes as a grown up. 
you know, just you know, that that memory and that feeling of you know something that I could that I couldn't ever change. But now I am I am this giant of a man. <laughs> like li- literally, no one gets to hurt me anymore. Right. And but still, the regret of not being able to change it at the time. You know, that's that's one of the great things about Colossus is on the on the outside, he's just a big goon who's there to punch people, but he's got so much heart and soul in him. Right. And he's like, Colossus is the kind of guy you want to go talk to when you're having a life crisis. Right. Because, you know, he'll listen to you and he'll not patronize you by telling you what you should do. He'll maybe just draw you a funny picture and try and cheer you up. Because <laughs> he's like, like Colossus is everybody's big brother. Right, yeah. I th- think that's the way that I see it. It's like Colossus is the guy who can physically protect everybody, but he will emotionally protect everybody as well because <laughs> that's the kind of guy he is. Yeah, I really like that too. I, I Lemire, you know, one, one of the things we'll talk about um, when kind of get to the end, Every all these characters feel true to me. Yeah. Like they feel like the characters that I know. And they, they don't feel like anyone's taking like a weird turn. Like, that's not Colossus. Like, everyone feels right. And even, you know, when Magic shows up, one, one of the, my favorite, talk about Uncanny 600, one of my favorite scenes was when Magic and Colossus, like, Kitty brought Magic and Colossus back together. And he was, and she, and Colossus was like, I have nothing to say to her. I don't want to talk to her. But then when he sees her, it's like, oh, screw screw it you're my sister you know yeah and they, and they hung it out and and to see this kind of joyous reunion continue i thought was really cool you know when you talk about how from the outside colossus is just a goon but he kind of even says that here he's like as an x-man all i am is like the punching machine and here on this farm i can actually like do things the magic like Magic kind of says, "I, Big Brother, I love your soul, but right now we also need the punching." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's just nice to have to be able to have that rapport between the two of them again. Yeah, you know, they, they've been at odds for so long. It's hard to remember a time when that you know they, they could be playful with one another, right, and be siblings. <laughs> You know, they, they, we haven't had that in such a long time, and that's that, that's what's so nice about it. I think that is the thing that Jeff Lemire does best. It's, it's, a, it's a, you know, to coin an internet term, he hits you right in the fields. <laughs> exactly. You know, his for for me, his like his indie creator owned work is the best stuff he's done. But the reason he does it is because it has got so much heart and emotion in it. Right. It's you know he he tells you know kind of simple stories, but he does it in a way that makes it relatable to almost everybody. You know who out there who's had you know, who has a sibling or you know a, a friend who's so close they are practically a sibling has had this kind of conversation. As you know, has had this moment where you can go from you know sort of. It's like a, a joyous, um, like reconnection to a sad, you know, 
life-altering moment <laughs> to a fun joke right. in the space of about three minutes. Right. You know, it's it, it's kind of what it's kind of what they need as characters, but I think it's also what we need as readers. We need to have that. We we need to have that sort of quippy back and forth somewhere. You know that that sort of has to be someone on the team, no matter what team it is. You know whether whether it's an X Men or Avengers or you know Inhumans or whatever. That there has to be someone out there who's kind of you know you know maybe not going to be the comic relief, not going to be the Joker, but is going to be able to have a little fun even when you know everything is kind of turning upside down. Right. And I'm kind of hoping that that's what he's going to develop between these two. That you know, I'm pretty certain Bobby Drake is going to be the joke machine because Probably. it's Bobby Drake, right. you know. But I'm expecting a lot of like genuine laughs and genuine like good moments between these two, which you know leads us on to a sequence which I think is going to have Dan wetting himself <laughs> because I, I'm sure Dan has told you many times how much of a Nightcrawler fan he is. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's like I was there with him when he was reading the Nightcrawler solo series the other year and just, like, his heart Ooh. breaking every issue. Yeah, that was rough. Because of how bad it was. Yeah. And I think this, as a return, as a, like, as a return for a character this is as perfect as a Nightcrawler scene could be. It's pretty awesome. It's, it's pretty know, great. It's, it, it has literally everything that you, if you were ever like, you know, someone comes up to you and says, so what's Nightcrawler's deal? <laughs> I think you could give them these couple of pages and be like, there you go. There you that, go. That, that, that's basically what Nightcrawler is because he gives you everything. Yeah. You know, you get some real, I mean, if you want to talk about gorgeous, then just the art team's vision of Nightcrawler's bam thing oh, is, is just—it's just stunning. We could—we could just have a book of that, and I think I'd be happy. Well, and they're um, all—they're all different. That's what I thought was really cool. You know, when Cockrum and, and guys were just starting Nightcrawler, like every bamf was the same. Yeah, but these you have like you see sometimes it's part of him sometimes it's just the cloud sometimes he's literally coming out of the cloud the cloud takes different shapes like it's just really cool i'm i'm curious as to just who these people are though oh so uh, have you not been spoiled on that yet i have not no okay so lemire you know obviously all right so and i'll 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 leave you with that surprise I, I've read articles where Lemire has talked about some of the upcoming villains in this book, and that kind of definitely tells you who this is going to be, probably. But um, but basically, so we have these guys, and they're working for somebody, and this person is upset because this Impox is uh, eliminating uh, the number of mutants that he has to uh, work with or experiment on. And so there apparently at some point in time in the last eight months, this person has captured Nightcrawler and he doesn't want him to get away. And so he's sent his goons to, uh, to track him down. And so, yeah. Um, 
as a longtime X fan, I kind of had a good idea who this would be anyway, but I think Lemire definitely kind of... One, one of the things about reading articles and why I don't read very many <laughs> is I, I don't like kind of sometimes how they inadvertently or sometimes even on purpose just kind of tell you what's going to happen in the story. Yeah. It's, to be honest, that's my biggest beef with previews. Right. And people's obsessions with previews is because that, you know, three months in advance, you find out something that, you know, you don't really want to find out. It's, you know, it's, it's like those, like those magazines that cover the, the soap operas on TV. They always tell you ahead of time, like who's going to die, who's going to get pregnant. It's sort of, if you're a fan of that show, surely the excitement should come with finding all this out. Right. So exactly. why are you, why are you reading about it weeks in advance? You know, I I do not read anything that comes with previews. The only t- the only thing I read on previews is I scroll down the list and I look to see what names jump out. Be it like a new series that's launching or a creator or something. Right. Um, I do like to see who's working on stuff, especially yeah, new image books and stuff like that. I want to see. Yeah. Who's writing it? Who's drawing it? And that's really yeah. kind of all I need to know. You know, and if there's a if there's a cover that doesn't give anything away, then I'll have a look at that. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of covers that give give you the tone of the book, but don't tell you anything. Right. You know, it's like I think we've gone past the age of you know a character in this book will die <laughs> or, or you know like you know it's like this is the end of whoever it's like we don't need any of that shit we, we're we're at a we're at a point where you know I, I, I think as consumers we're smart enough to know that you know kind of what's going to happen anyway but right. it's the enjoyment of the ride we kind of all want yeah and that, that's why the the cover to this book is so good because it it basically is just like this whole this whole issue is a let's get the band back together. That's exactly the phrase I used in my review. Yeah, yeah, you know that that that's that, that, if you forget like what it's setting up, that is the point of this book. It's to get the get the team established. Right. So that's what the cover does. It's the team establishing. You know, saying that hey, here we are. This is who we are. You know. We don't. We don't need anything else. Right. It's all like listening to your sort of description of the article. I'm now kind of thinking I know who it is, but oh, see, that's the thing. I think sometimes they don't give the readers enough credit for being smart. Because yeah. what, what the article did, he didn't. He, literally, all it was was he listed off like five or six villains that he wanted to bring in in the first couple of years of the arc. Yeah. And they were established ex-villains, so nothing like really surprising. Not, not, no one like, hey, aren't they dead? Like they were all alive, good villains, nothing really spoiled. But you know kind of what those villains do. And so yeah. when, you get a pre- when you get a line like this, it's like, oh, well, this is a person who does this and this. Well, and I have these six guys coming. Which one of those guys fits this bill? Okay, it's probably him. You know, and... I don't think it was like an intentional like, hey, this is who's coming up in issue two. I think yeah. they, I think just sometimes they forget that and we've been reading these books for so long. We can kind of figure that out. You don't need to give us much to really ruin it. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I think what it all comes down to really is it's, it's just clickbait. 
Right. That if you know someone can go and interview Jeff Lemire about his work on X Men, and you know glean some information out of him that may possibly allude to something, and they stick it on their banner headline, <laughs> you know, there's still people out there that are dumb enough to go click it. Um, you know, like there's uh, what was I see the other day? Uh, pictures of Benedict Cumberbatch on the set of Doctor Strange. I saw now, the I saw the link and uh, closed it. <laughs> yeah, I can pretty much guarantee that it will be Cumberbatch, probably sat around in some sweatpants, right, with a mustache. <laughs> yeah, like like looking off into the distance, maybe with a cup of coffee, and he'll be sat on the edge of a set. It's like the you know the the first footage from Netflix's Daredevil series, and it was someone on a camera phone half a block away, <laughs> filming a little kid who was being given direction for the scene. Right. It's like that is not footage; that's just some guy who happens to have clued into what's going on, right? Or maybe not even done that. Going like, oh, it's a film crew. I best record this and put it on YouTube. <laughs> right? You know, I could be famous. Um, you know, it's it, it's all it's all just speculation and nonsense. And yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like yeah, you know, you'd like to think that the people who are doing these interviews would have enough sense to not not talk about things that are potentially spoilers. You know, just like you said, we've all been doing this long enough. You could probably give us a scenario, and we would give you the villain. Right? It, it isn't. It's not going to be that hard, but. You know, come on, just, just use a, a little bit of common sense. That's all we want, just a, just a smidge, you know. But anyway, in, enough of all that. Let's let let's get on to something that's you know just just down and out cool. All right, what's that? Wolverine fighting a sentinel. Yeah, all right. It's so like, we have this great scene again. Awesome colors. We have this like dark blue kind of at night in the winter. And we see a shadowy figure. And, of course, we, we started off with the scene that young Jean's telling Storm after whatever went down with Cyclops, that prompted her to, like, kind of send out a mental probe. And she found someone that shouldn't be here. And, um, and of course, we know that's going to be old man Logan. And we see him kind of zoom in and walking in the snow. And he smells something. We get a nice snicked. And then, yes, we get this awesome page of the Sentinel attacking Old Man Logan. And we get some classic almost Days of Future Past because that's the Days of Future Past jacket he's wearing. And we see him fighting the Sentinel. What I thought was really funny, so is this like an X-Men pet Sentinel? Because he's like, please don't hurt me. And, And Storm and Iceman don't seem concerned at all that the Sentinel's there. But to be honest, he does have his claws dug deep into its chest at that moment. <laughs> yes, he does. I'm, I'm pretty certain they've, they they know Logan well enough to be able to just let him get on with it. It's like, <laughs> if, if he's fist deep into a sentinel chest, <laughs> he's probably got it covered, you know? Right, he's, right on. He's, you know, they probably don't need to worry at that point. But that that's a that's an interesting idea. And it's something that I honestly didn't pick up on. I thought he was just a bit of a gag. That, oh. You know, just this, this tiny little man was 
just destroying this giant robot. And he got scared. Um, yeah, he's just like, oh, he's like, this was a terrible mistake. Please don't cut me up. Um, but I mean, oh, it's such a great looking page that is just that you know the the sentinel looming over him like the little wolverine in the foreground right it's just it it conjures up so many nice warm memories for me right you know it's like the good old days when the x-men just they didn't fight with each other they fought sentinels and you know the uh, purifiers and all that kind of stuff (laughs) and it was it was just it was just nice it was a good you know it's, it's it's a really short sequence but I think it. I think it says so much just with what it shows you. It's, yeah. You know, like may, maybe this book isn't going to be like all the other X books. Maybe this is going to be, you know, sort of like a, you know a classic X Men book where they have villains to fight and they're not just squabbling with each other. <laughs> um, I hope so, and I, it does kind of feel that way. And of course, we get a nice last page of old man Logan and, and Storm's like, is that you? And he's like, kind of. <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the typical Wolverine response. Logan, is that you? I don't know. Maybe. Right. What do you want? <laughs> I'm, I'm busy drinking and smoking a cigar. Make it quick. You know? yeah. I think that's the only thing that would have made it perfect is if he had a big fat stogie right, sticking right. out of his mouth. Or if he said but, bub. Yeah. <laughs> To, to be honest, I I just always say bub whenever I'm reading his dialogue. <laughs> I just I end every sentence with it. It just it it's just I don't know. It's like a tick. It's like a reading tick that I've right. got. I I have to say bub in my mind. Well, I was pretty stoked to see this too, and I'm really you know interested to see what Lemire does with Old Man Logan. Um, did you read the Secret Wars miniseries? Uh, I didn't know it was okay. one of the, it was one of the few that I didn't actually pick up. Well, so basically at the end of it, and we've talked about it here on the show as well. Um, of course, at the end, it's kind of just and really the series is just how do we get old man Logan from old man Logan time to our time, and um, just kind of shows that. But one of the things that the, 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 that they talk about is that here's this guy who you know in his world he was like tricked into killing all his friends. And then at the end of his miniseries, um, you know, the, the heroes are like, Old Man Logan, we, we, we really need you to help defeat God Doom. And he's like, okay. And, you know, kind of the, the implication of the, at the end of the, the miniseries is that him coming to this world or being placed in this world after Secret Wars is like a second chance for him because of what he did to help whatever. However Secret Wars ends, he has something to do with it. And his kind of reward or whatever is to be be given a second chance. But I thought the really interesting thing that Lemire is doing here, and I really want to see what he makes Logan's arc, is you have this guy, he's given the second chance, but as soon as he gets back, it's almost like that second chance is going to be ruined by all this, like, Terrigen disease stuff. Now, did, I, did I really get a second chance just to watch all my friends die again? Like, what the hell? You know, and I really want to see what, what Lemire does with that. How he makes Logan act. Like, kind of the struggle of, like, is this even worth fighting for anymore? If it's just going to, history just going to repeat itself. Like, I'm really just looking forward. And I, I, 
you know, one of the things that Lemire did in this book for me, and I won't lie, I've not read a lot of Lemire. Um, I know his stuff in DC was supposed to be really good. I've, it's not something the characters he was working on have never interested me before. And I just never really got to it. Um, and so, but one of the things he did here is he really established a trust in this issue that these characters are going to be multifaceted and they're going to have stuff to do. Like one of the things I was really impressed about is like magic has more to do in this one issue that she had almost the whole run of Bendis. And again, that's not a slight on Bendis' run. I enjoyed it. But like Magic, Storm, Colossus, it's like they already have more input into being an X-Men than they've had in a long time. And so he's already kind of said, hey, I'm going to use these characters. They're all going to have, they're all going to be an important piece. You're going to see how they, you know, you talk about bringing the band back together. You're going to see how they come together and how they interlock and form this new X-Men team and they all have an important, vital function. And he's already shown us that just in one issue. And so I'm excited to see how that works in the coming arc. So I'm already kind of stoked. And I think a lot of that is to Lemire's credit. And I, um, like I said, haven't read a lot of his, but I really enjoyed his writing in this issue. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like I said earlier on, it's all, all the new relaunch titles have all been good. Right. But I think this one is one of the better ones. It's, I, th- I think what they've done is they've managed to team people up well. Right. So we've got, you know, we've got we've got an artist on this book who can do the big flashy X Men visuals, but now we have a writer who can do the smaller, intimate sort of stories it's i'm not expecting him to come out and like blow me away with his vision of the x-men what i'm expecting him to do is to make me care a little more than i had previously you know it's sort of um it's like i i dipped in and out of uncanny before the relaunch you know i sort of did the same with all new x-men i preferred all new x-men yeah i probably did too it was just, um, uh, what was it, the Battle for the Atom? Whew, that was a little tough. Yeah, I, uh, I, I kind of just <laughs> drifted out there, and it right. took me a little while to get back in. You know, but there's, a, like, Colossus was on the, the X-Force book. Did you, you know, I think he was there just to punch things. That you know, book like, was I'm, pretty I'm, terrible. I'm interested to see what... <laughs> Like, like, say, what old man Logan is going to bring to this? It's like I'm, I am personally excited to see Laura as Wolverine. I am too. Yeah, yeah. That's that. That's a, a thing that I'm genuinely looking forward to. So I'm looking forward to how old man Logan. Because to me, Logan's at his best when he's a grumpy old dude. <laughs> you know, when he's when he's just. He's, he's just sort of he's tired and he's seen everything but he's gonna go do it anyway because god damn it that's what you do <laughs> you, you get you take the hand that you've been dealt and you play it regardless right you know and you, you um, try to do it with uh, dignity and yeah, that's all you exactly. can hope for you know I, I think Storm is a great leader for this team um, yeah. and I think it's a she, you know she's always had leadership roles for a long time but right I think over the last few years, she's become that character that she was always meant to be. 
I hope so. And I, I think Lemire has a lot of potential to really do something with her, and I'm really excited about that. Who, historically, who's your favorite X-Men leader? Um, oh, that's a good one. Um, I, I think, like, overall, and this is more just sort of time spent doing it, I, I am a, I'm a sort of firm believer that, like, Cyclops should be the head of the team. Okay. But, you know, one of the best things about the X-Men is there's been so many characters over the years that have been able to fill that slot. Right, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, you know whether they be, like, a field team leader or, sort of like, a home base leader, you know, that that's sort of... Because I love Beast. I love Hank McCoy. And... I don't think he's ever wanted that role, but I think he could do it. You know, yeah. it's he, he's more he's more interested in sitting in his lab tinkering with stuff than he is going out and punching Magneto in the face. But I I think you know I, I'm hoping that Beast shows up again soon. Well, he's gonna be in the uh, and then they alluded to it here that he's working on a cure. I think he's going to be part of the Uncanny and Humans team, at least starting off. Well, um, at least now I've got a reason to go buy that book. <laughs> Beast is going to be in it. Um, that first issue is kind of rough, but um, I don't know. We'll see. If, if he comes in and just sort of like fires everybody and rebuilds the team himself, <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. There um, you go. Well, anyway, yeah, to answer like, the question I asked you, uh, one of the things I like about this book is Storm is like my leader of choice. Yeah. So I was really happy to see her back in that role. You know, I think it makes sense. You know, she she was always she was always the number two. You right. know, she was always in charge whenever Cyclops wasn't around. <laughs> exactly. You know, Cyclops isn't around, and you know, I, I'm so happy that they've gotten rid of this whole willowy sort of hippie that she was for a long time. Right. You know, it's like when I shut my eyes and think about Storm, I was always taken back to the cartoon. <laughs> and I hated her so much in that cartoon. <laughs> She's just so boring. She's just like, oh, I oh, talk oh, like this. Yeah. And let's go find Magneto. Yeah. And it's just, I, I'm glad that now she's, you know, she's, she's driven. She's focused. She's, yes. You know, she, she has a belief system, but she's now she's able to incorporate it into the running of a team, the running of, you know, X Haven crossed arms. <laughs> I just did um, it. You can't see me, but I just did it. <laughs> good. Good. Uh, see, this, this is why we need to do a video version of this. Right. Unfortunately, People, it causes all kinds of hiccups in the audio, yeah. <laughs> but we need to, uh, we need to figure that out. <laughs> Or, or at least just Photoshop an image of us doing it together. There you go. We can do that. If you'll send me a, you'll send me a, a picture of yourself doing that, I'll put them together. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful stuff. Um, but yeah, it's like Storm makes sense. She's now, I think she's the character that she was supposed to be a long time ago. I agree. And never got the chance. But, you know, we're in this good period of comics now where, you know, people are, People are not only understanding, but they're also accepting that, you know, a woman like woman can be just as in charge as a man. Yeah. 
and and just as badass and yeah, yeah. and there, there is nothing wrong about having a woman in a position of power and i think storm is going to crack so many skulls uh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> she's she's not she's not going to take no crap from nobody. Yep. All right. Well, other than just saying it's stunning and beautiful, do you have any other comments on the art in this book? Just kind of overall. I think I said it earlier where it, it feels really comfortable. Yeah. You know, I know Ramos has done a bunch of stuff on Xbox previously. I think the first time I ever saw his work was a series called Out There. For cliffhanger yeah, comics. I remember that. The, yeah, all the I, kids, right? Yeah, I stumbled across it in my comic book store and I picked it up because I thought it was gorgeous. And, you know, I followed it and I think I ran for 20 some odd issues. And then sadly, the company folded. And I remember <laughs> going in one week and being like, oh, is there a new issue about there? And they're like, no, cliffhanger doesn't exist anymore. And my heart <laughs> just sank. It just completely, it just dissolved and went somewhere down to my feet, I think. But I, th- I think R- Ramos is one of those artists that a lot of people overlook because of because of the style that he has. Right. Because it's, it's, you know, it's that sort of like super deformed style. People just kind of write it off. They're like, oh yeah, that's, that's not what it's looking at. Same with like, I think people do the same thing with Scott Young. Right, because Scott Young has a similar kind of style. You know, every character that he draws is sort of a warped version of that character. People just sort of write him off, but they forget that the tremendous artists. Yeah, and you know, he's a guy. I would throw Kari Andrews in that category as well. Yeah, yeah, the Iron Fist series last year was just just breathtakingly stunning. Right, yeah. Ramos and is now being backed up by a great colorist. Yes. Oh my goodness. And hopefully, those two are going to be working together for a very long time. Yeah. You now, it's comics. People have lives outside of comics. <laughs> There's any kind of combination that could happen, and I think the X books have always struggled with quickly rotating artists or a quick artist turnover right and i would like to think that we aren't going to be in that situation anymore well the good thing about ramos in the past is like he's had pretty long connected runs on amazing spider-man before yeah and so he's capable of committing to a book and doing it for a while so i'm hoping that'll be the case with this book and, uh, you know, I'm glad that Lemire's talking about, like, a couple of years. Yeah. As opposed to sort of, like, getting in and getting out. You know, don't get me wrong, I, I love what Marvel did with Moon Knight before the relaunch. I thought that was fantastic, of just getting a, getting a creative team in to tell a story and then being like, right, it's a short thing, go do, what, you know, go do your thing, and then we'll look <laughs> at, you know, getting someone else in. Because right. I thought that book was great. And every volume of it was different, but yeah. it was like consistently good. You know, consistency is the thing that we crave the most, I think, in comics. You know, you find find a creative team that you like and that you enjoy. You want them to keep working together forever. It'd be nice, yeah. You know, <laughs> it doesn't happen. And, you know, sometimes five years goes by all too quickly. But 
that's just the nature of the beast. Right. Um, but no, it's it's put it's put an X book in a really interesting position, and you know it's taken it's taken some like traditional themes and put a modern spin on them. Right. And I'm hoping that this is going to be the start of the X Men being more that. I don't want to say more respected because it, it, it seems like I've been negative towards them, but I hope that people are going to sit up and go, well, actually the X-Men kind of matter still. Right. It's not just about the movie franchise characters, which a lot of, you know, conspiracy theorists will tell you <laughs> it is, you know, it's like, the you know, I hate to break it to you folks, but the reason that there isn't a fantastic four book is because that book hasn't sold in right. forever. <laughs> You know, that, that, that book has not been like majorly popular since John Byrne. Right. And, you know, mo- most, most people probably weren't even alive when John Byrne stopped <laughs> drawing that book. Okay. Yeah. Even the Hickman run, which was madly respected, didn't blow the sales away. No. And then when he left, it's like, they really went in the shitter. Yeah. <laughs> Sales-wise, yeah. I didn't read after him, so I don't know about the quality. But, yeah. but sales-wise, yeah. I mean, that's that's a market-driven choice. It has nothing mm. to do with movies. I, I agree. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the X-Men have always put up solid numbers. And I think if you get if you get a... I think they're doing it right. They're getting a core group of characters together, and they're making you care about those characters. Right. One of the downfalls of the X-Men was always the billions of characters. Now, it's like, am I a little upset that there is no Gambit anywhere, it seems? <laughs> yes. But I can accept that if it means that I'm going to get a continually good series of books. Yeah. I can forgive them for not having an enormous roster. So speaking of Gambit, I, I know we know differently now, but when you first, very first, like way back, saw the uh, the image for the new Daredevil, did you think that was Gambit in that book? I totally did. Yeah, I did too. Um, yeah, I totally <laughs> did, and I got super excited because it's like the the X Men were my were you know my favorite team of superheroes, but Daredevil was my favorite singular hero. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, my favorite X-Man and my favorite Marvel hero together in a book. I thought it sounded like a sweet idea. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, this can only be brilliant. And, you know, I was like, Charles Sewell is writing it. I I think he's doing tremendous things at the minute. Yes, he's mostly really good. Yeah. You know, I was like, I'm totally pumped for that. And then I read the... um, was it the Contest of Champions? No, I think it was in the, the all-new, all-different point oh, the, one. See, I get confused because both of those books were exactly the same. Yes, they were. They were just snippets <laughs> of what's to come. Um, and, I, yeah, I read it. I was like, oh, it's not Gambit. But I'm still interested. Oh, well, that, that Ron yeah. Garney art looks amazing. Yeah, it's oh, so, so. The, I mean... The, so far, thankfully, there hasn't been an all-new, all-different book that's come out and looked terrible. No, really all hasn't. of All of them have looked great. Some yeah. better than others, because not everybody is Humberto Ramos or Daniel Acuna. Right. But, you know, all of the books are looking great. All right. of them 
so far have read really well. So I, I think I think we're in a good place to be to be a Marvel fan. I think now is a good time. It's going to be an expensive time. <laughs> I was but, just talking to a friend about that the other day. That that really is really making me make some hard choices. But yeah, I, I'm trying my best to sort of pick up as many number ones as I can. Yeah, me too. J- just to you know, I want to give things a chance. Yeah, and then I'll go from there. Yeah, but the, there will be series that I just have to bite the bullet and wait for the trade. Right. It's, it's purely financial. It's <laughs> nothing else. So, yeah. you know, there, there might be might be a couple of outside books that I pick up monthly over something that I think is going to be good. Well, the good news for me right now, and this is not not vitriolic or anything like that, I'm just at a point interest-wise where I'm down to only like one or two DC books, that helps a lot. So I can take my DC budget and just buy more Marvel stuff. Yeah. But... <laughs> well, I, I, I gave up on them quite publicly a long yeah, time yeah. ago. <laughs> um, and it, it, was, it, it was just through sort of editorial decisions. Right. And the quality that was being put out. I didn't feel like I was getting my money's worth. So I voted with my wallet. Yeah, well, that's what you should do. It's plain and simple. I mean, you know, it breaks my heart to not be reading Batgirl every month. <laughs> because Bat- Batgirl is one of those characters that I've loved ever since a child. You know, Barbara Gordon, to me, is one of the one of the best heroes yeah. in comics. I but, like her a lot. I'm not crazy about the book at the moment. and yeah. I, I dropped it, but... um. I will say the only, I I enjoy various DC books to various levels. The only one that I would say, hey, you're actually missing something, would maybe be Robin, Son of Batman, which has been a great every issue. But other than that, yeah. you're not really missing much. <laughs> um, but, you know, I remember a few years back where I was buying mainly DC books, right, and very yeah. few Marvel books. So it all changes. Yeah, it goes in cycles. Yeah, and it's just, you know, sometimes one company is doing things that I prefer over the other. Right. And I've more interest in that at the time. So, you know, never know. There might be a time come where I'm just not buying any X-Men books. (laughs) I don't think it's very likely, having read this one, (laughs) but there may be a time. Yes, it's possible, I guess. Yeah. All right, well, um, we're getting a little long here. I don't want to keep you too long. Um. So what are your overall kind of summary thoughts on the book and what do you want to grade out of six claws, Extraordinary X-Men number one? Um, I I think it started off strong and it started off smart. It it didn't didn't bog itself down in too much of what's happened in these missing couple of months. You know, it introduced the characters in some sort of, you know, fun and enjoyable ways, some interesting ways for others. And it's one of the better stepping stones for the series that I've read through this relaunch. It it could be my favourite at the minute. I'm not quite sure. (laughs) Because we've got so many more books to come. Right. So it's a little early in the game to start playing that card, but <laughs> it's a you know a, a very very solid issue. The 
know, the the one thing that does let it down is that it isn't an extraordinary number one. There, there's missing a little magic there. So for that, I am going to give it five claws out of six. Okay, perfect. And before I forget, Denise did, re- even though she kind of podcast with us today, she did read the book. And uh, I think she mostly echoed my sentiments for the most part. And she's going to give it six out of six claws. She really enjoyed it and was excited about it. And I'm kind of in the same place. I felt like overall, I, I agree there's nothing all that necessarily groundbreaking or new. And there's nothing shocking. But this felt like a class, like, like it could be the beginning. And a lot of this will just depend on how the next several issues go. But potentially, this could be the beginning of one of those nice, long, solid, character-driven X-Men sagas. And if that's what we get, that's what I've been kind of looking for that we haven't had in a while. I did really enjoy Bendis' run. There was nothing I would call necessarily epic about it. It was all very kind of character-based, and there are a lot of good character moments, but... And there wasn't like, there was nothing that would be like equivalent to like, you know, the Brood Saga or, you know, the Death of Jean Grey or Mutant yeah. Massacre. I, I think if, if Lemire cashes in on kind of what he's put on the table on this issue, we could have a nice, just really long art that, that has some of these kind of X-Men saga stories that are, that are kind of X-Men at their best. And honestly, this is, with the art and just looking so great and the story being what it was, this was kind of what I was hoping this book would be. It kind of satisfied what I was looking for in a new X-Men book. Like I said, if you look at it as more of a season premiere as opposed to like a new series, I I think it it starts the X-Men off in a nice place that makes me excited about where it's going. And so in that regards, I'm going to agree with with Denise. I'm going to give... Extraordinary X-Men number one, uh, six out of six claws. And if you want to hear, I I did leave some stuff out. So if you want to hear some other thoughts, I will post a link to my review. Uh, I think I gave it nine out of ten for the Inner Comics podcast. And y'all can go read that if you want. Um, But yeah, so I think overall, though, I mean, we're off by a claw. But I think we're pretty much in the same place. And we all just agreed this was fun. And it's definitely more serious and then Bendis' run was, but I think that can be a good thing. X-Men are good, a little bit more serious. Not that they're bad lighthearted, but they can, you really get to the meat of like what they represent and the conflict of trying to kind of coexist in a very sometimes difficult world um, where it's not, people don't always look for the best in each other's differences. And I, I think this story can kind of show some of that and show us some of ourselves. And I think that's when X-Men are at their best. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you got to remember, you know, what the X-Men were born from. Right. You know, all those many moons ago, <laughs> what the driving force behind the creation of them was, you know, the, the X-Men are supposed to have stories that matter. They're supposed to have character moments that matter. You know, they're, they are the eternal underdogs. They are right. always going to have to fight and prove themselves. And I think for a lot of people, that's why we're drawn to the X-Men as characters. Because 
you know, that there's something important about them. So, you know, I, you know, reading this issue, I feel like some importance has come back into the book. Yeah. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. I loved that all new X-Men was, you know, just kind of a bit of fun in places. And he's, you know, he's just, just a good, enjoyable romp with a bunch of teenage mutants. <laughs> right. But, you know, the, the team that we have assembled now, we've got, you know, we've got some younger members, we've got some older members. I, th- I think that there's going to be a nice dynamic between them. And there's going to be a lot of, I don't want to say conflicts, but there's going to be a lot of variations in how they all see the world. And... I think that's going to lead to some really interesting and like really genuine character moments. You know, we're, we're going to be a few years time from now talking about this series that's finished and we're going to be saying just like, wow, you know, thank, thank, thank God this was a thing because that was a story that mattered to me. Yeah, I, I think so. And I hope so. Uh, that's what, I, that's what I'm expecting yeah. in, in this this issue gives us glimpses of, of what could happen, and that's exciting. So, well, anyway, Matt, thank you very much for coming on. Um, why don't you uh, tell us a little about what you have going on, some of your some of your plugs, if you will. Um, well, except for recently, uh, <laughs> thank you, work. Uh, you can find me most weeks on the Intercomics podcast, where I'm joined by uh, Jack and Dan. Um, where we give you the weekly roundup of what we've been reading and what we did and didn't like in the world of comics. Uh, you can find a bunch of my reviews on intercomicspodcast.com. You know, obviously go and check out Jason's review, which makes most of mine seem like they were written by children. <laughs> so he gave, a very, he gave a very long and articulate review, and most of mine are just sort of... They're basically just doodles on cottontail napkins <laughs> in comparison. But, you know, I do the best with what I've got. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter. I am at Geek Without Fear. And, you know, c- come find me. Come tell me what you thought about the book. Tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm right. Please tell me that I'm right. I need some validation in my life. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It's been an awful lot of fun. And I'm just sorry it took so long for me to get on no, and you had to, that's all you had right. to deal with me uh, <laughs> spreading germs down the phone line at you. Oh no. And they come through the iPad. <laughs> I, I think they do. I think that's how, uh, I think that's how the M pops <laughs> spread. I think I'm coming down the now. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, you're a cruel man. You're a cruel <laughs> man, Jason. Yes. Anyway, um, as usual, uh, like the Facebook page for us. Twitter is at SnickCast. Show notes and stuff will be at SnickCast.Podbean.com. I I really would be interested, listeners, to hear what you think. Me and Matt were both very positive, and um, my review that I did for Intercomics is very positive. But I have seen, and I waited till after I wrote mine because I didn't want to be influenced. I went and checked out some other reviews after I gave mine to y'all. And there's a lot of much less positive out there about this book. So I would love to hear what the listeners kind of think, what they agree or disagree with us on. I wasn't sure, uh, Matt, if you would come in being more on my side or more kind of on the 
the vocal minority side, but um, I was glad that you enjoyed it. I was, you know, I'm always kind of nervous when I ask people to come on because I really want. My goal is that when I ask someone to read something, is that there's something they enjoy reading. And um, during some of the Secret War stuff, I had people do. <coughs> sorry, Georgie. Um, <laughs> sometimes I I I, I felt bad because I asked them to read stuff that just wasn't good, and I didn't know it was gonna suck, and just ended up sucking. I'm glad that you had fun with this, and um, I don't know if schedule-wise I'll be able to get you on every month, but I would love for you to send your comments on every issue if you want to. That'll be up to you, um, but and you can do that audibly or just verbally or whatever. But I'd love to kind of kind of check in with you from time to time and see how you're still enjoying this series, if if you're interested. That that, that would be super fun. I'm totally cool. up for that. Awesome. Well, um, I don't know what will be next for us on the podcast, but um, it'll be something good, I'm sure. And like I said, if you're not listening to the Inner Comics podcast, you should be. It's one of my faves. And um, always enjoy hearing their different thoughts. And um, yeah, I guess that's about it. So until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye. Bye, guys.